All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Coco, and you are listening to Live from Coco's Cabinet. This is a this is a new program, a special program. Uh, it's going to be some smaller, self-contained episodes uh, with what I'm going to call uh, a lovingly underproduced style. So. This is, uh, I'm going to kind of call this um, something like Coco's Cozy Comforts, you know? I can't f- get away from alliteration. I'm obsessed with it. Coco's Cabinet of Curiosities presents Coco's Cozy Comforts. You know, does anybody like that? I think it's just silly at that point. Then you've got, you know, you've really, you've gone overboard. <laughs> The whole point of this show is going to be an opportunity for me to reminisce because I find myself lately very obsessed with the past in many ways. I think that many of us find ourselves really assaulted by nostalgia at this point in almost anything that you encounter in the world. Our culture right now has really embraced nostalgia. And I think that, you know, if you're if you're halfway intelligent, and I don't want that to sound aggressive or mean, but if you're halfway intelligent, you know that that is a trauma response, that our culture is reeling in many ways, and we seek the comforts of the past to aid us through the traumatic present. And that is copyright. Coco's Cabinet of Curiosities presents Coco's Cozy Comforts. That's the first t-shirt. So look forward to that coming soon on T-Pop or Redbubble. That's a great idea! So the point of this show is going to be a chance for me to reminisce, and it's all going to be related to the Coco's Cabinet of Curiosities umbrella. Most of the time I'm going to be talking about movies or pop culture in some fashion. I'm going to be reminiscing about some core memory related to a piece of media or perhaps uh, even toys or things like that. I really want to kind of leave it open-ended, as I said, in this underproduced style. So when I decided to make this a Coco's Cabinet of Curiosities podcasty thing, I was thinking of this particular memory. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that it was sort of interesting and maybe worth sharing with my legions of fans. And so here we are. We find ourselves at the beginning of the show that maybe will go on, but if you're a long-time listener, you know it probably won't. So don't be too offended. Don't be too offended. This was sixth grade. I would have been 10 years old because I was always a year behind my friends who 
were born before the summer. I was born in June, the middle of June. So my birthday always came after the school year. So I was usually one year behind whatever the general age of that school year was. So for sixth grade, most of my friends were 11. Uh, but I was 10. I was a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> and you know, I feel like the 10-year-old part is key, especially the in the reflecting, the reflecting process. I think the fact that I was 10 years old is pretty important in a way that, that I've not realized until I really reflected on this, which is part of the reason why I'm doing the show. I was 10 years old, and I had a friend named Chris. And I would stay the night at Chris's house pretty often. And so when I stayed the night over there, we sort of had free reign of this sort of entertainment room or like media room. You know, it's a classic suburban media room with the couch, the, you know, the sectional. And then you have this massive wooden entertainment center, right? That has the huge, beautiful CRT TV in there. You got your glass that opens up so you can see all your components, your VCR, your sound boy, whatever, you know, it was amazing. And this one had one of those great drawer storage systems with the v with VHS tapes. So we're talking VHS tapes here, folks. So, you know, we would do like the truly stereotypical rent movies, watch them in the media room with a pizza. You know, it was amazing. It was the dream. It was on one of these glorious nights that we decided to do a triple feature. Now... We had been talking about this movie that Chris had heard of that he knew his dad taped off of HBO because he'd seen the title on the VHS tape in the drawer. And then as you do from other boys, you hear talk of movies that have nudity in them. And you know what blows my mind now is thinking that this was when I was 10 years old. You know, this was already going on. Oh, boys, you know. Boys are so Weirdly, one of the things that would circulate when these, when these conversations would happen would be the movie Clockwork Orange. All right? Now, that title stuck with me then because it was very strange. And because of the title... And then, of course, this association with, you know, the nudity that these boys were discussing. It became this very, you know, I wanted to see it. It was such a, but it was like, you know, I'm never going to see that. This is this, like, forbidden text, okay? When Chris hears about this, he says, I, I've got that movie in my house. I have that movie. I've taped, my dad's got it taped. I remember that title. He remembered it because it's it was weird, you know. It's it's weird. So that night we had rented Spawn. It had just come out on video. I really wanted to see it. I loved the comic book, and so we were gonna watch Spawn until the parents went to bed, and then we were gonna watch A Clockwork Orange, and. We executed our plan. We watched Spawn. Uh, we loved it at the time. 
It was incredible. Now, not so much. It's all right. And then it came time to watch this movie. I was I was terrified. I was so scared because for some reason the the association with with it being wrong also made me think that the movie was going to be scary, but the whole thing was just scary. I didn't like breaking the rules. I never have. I'm not like a cool, you know, cool rule breaker tough guy. To everyone's shock. We've got a badass over here. So I remember this now, and I've been thinking about this. The more I've thought about it, the more I really remember feeling absolute terror. Uh, but I wanted to watch it so badly. You know, it was like, of course, it was. it's so foundational now when I think about it in my relationship to horror films because so much of those early watches of horror films, especially at that young age, had that feeling where I was absolutely terrified, but I had to see it. I had to, you know, I was drawn to it in some just, you know, reptile brain way. I just needed it. It was weird. We start the movie and it is so weird to my 10 year old brain. And it's an odd movie to an adult. You know, it's a, I mean, I don't think anybody would disagree. It is a very unique and challenging film. And I just remember at first feeling confused and just thinking, you know, what, I, what is going on? Because I didn't understand what they were saying. Oh, the old Malocco Plus first, would Malocco you not flash, say? Eh? <laughs> He's coming Some to sharpen us yeah. up. Some of the Malocco Plus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you especially, we have the start. Yeah, you got yeah. Because we've got start on you. Yeah, Malocco Plus, eh? Yeah. <laughs> we're watching it, and then, you know, I remember vaguely just sort of being horrified by by the violence. And it was so, you know, when you think about it now, to juxtapose it against Spawn, where the violence to my 10-year-old brain had been fun. And it was like I wanted to see Spawn fighting these guys and shooting the bad guys and doing all this. But then I was confronted with this film where the violence was mean and... Nobody, nobody liked it, you know, it was all, uh, and I remember just feeling really uncomfortable. And then when the first, you know, the, the nude, the only real nudity that I remember vividly seeing and being sort of aware of, and I only mention this because I mentioned it before is the, the scene where Alex has already been brainwashed or, or cleansed, I guess. And he is confronted with the naked woman and can't touch her, you know, and it's supposed to be this profound, oh, look, he's transformed moment, right? I remember that and just sort of thinking, I was so confused and uncomfortable that it, it just didn't register in any other way than confusing. I'm confused! You're under arrest. The movie really had a big impact, I think, in the sense that the more I've thought about it, it really did seem to kind of leave a mark on me in a way that made me leery of the film for many, many years. I ended up becoming a huge Kubrick fan, but still sort of not that movie, which is interesting because I remember even when I was sort of 
you know, when you're first getting into movies and you do something like decide you're going to get into Kubrick, you know, you make a big deal out of it. You tell your friends because you feel really proud of yourself because you're Mr. Big Film Guy. You're getting into Kubrick. You know, it's a big deal. And this happened to me in high school. I remember I had I was getting really into physical media more so than I had been, you know, for years I, I was in, interested in it, obviously. I've, if you know Coco's Cabinet, you know that. But I had started to really collect DVDs and physical media, and I was really thinking about, there were films that I, I wanted to get, and I was figuring out ways to get them, and one of those was purchasing box sets and things from other countries. I started to do that, which I still do now, but this was the first time I bought a region-free DVD player. I bought a DVD player that had essentially been hacked, you know, to remove region coding from it. And that sort of opened up this whole other world of, of physical media to me. And one of those things, I found a Stanley Kubrick box set for way cheaper than its American counterpart. And I ordered that. And I really dug into the films and watched them all, except for Clockwork Orange. I watched it, and I sort of, I remember, though, watching it and just sort of being like, okay, I remember this now more fully, um, because at that point, I think it was more of just moments, you know, that had really stuck with me. And I think that 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 second watch at 16, 17 was more about completing what the film actually was about in my mind. And then I also kind of put it away. I was like, okay, I remember it now and I'm I'm not interested because it still sort of made me uncomfortable in a way that didn't really allow me to enjoy it. And I have never really thought about why that was for years that I've had that sort of feeling about Clockwork Orange that persists to this day, I've seen it as an adult and and can appreciate it in in more ways than I could, I think, than I was 16 or 17. But it's still, it doesn't resonate with me or, or I don't sort of treasure it the way that I do something like The Shining or 2001 or Dr. Strangelove or honestly, any other film in Kubrick's filmography. And I think it's because my first viewing happened way before it should have. Now, some of you might listen to that and, and be kind of horrified at the lack of supervision. But remember, this happened in, in, in you know an upper-class suburban neighborhood. So this is what happens, folks. This is what happens behind the picket fence. WGN investigates violent crime in the suburbs. Was it, was it wrong? Did we know it was wrong? Absolutely, and it was horrible. Like I said, it really impacted my experience. So it's interesting how these early viewings can truly shape your entire relationship with a piece of media or with a piece of art. And this memory has really caused me to reflect on that fact and to reflect on my own relationship with this specific film and kind of finding out that I had stronger feelings about it than I realized. And I think that that's, that's what reflection is all about. This was probably called Coco's Cabinet Presents, live from Coco's Cabinet, the Coco's Cabinet Cozy Comforts Corner. I hope you enjoyed this trip down memory lane. You know, I was really f***ing.
trying not to say that. I hope you liked it. Um, thanks for listening.